morning. It is a pleasure to be here on Sunday morning, and uh, I hope the worship gathering for you guys is a, a highlight, really, of our week, a time to get together with God's people, and time to just, it feels so good to lift our voices and just sing praises to God, and, and I know, like, throughout the week, I, I spend time, you know, listening to, to Christian music, and, uh, and that's great, but I'm not one that usually just walks around the house singing or singing in the shower, but, you know, listening to it is good, but, but then singing it with your voice is, is even better, and uh, it's good to praise God together as a group as well. Well, this morning, I want to uh, begin in the book of Romans, so you can take your Bibles out and open the book of Romans. Um, I have never preached the book of Romans before. I've always wanted to dive into it, and so I figured I'd just start and However long we have, we'll just keep doing that if I get more opportunities to preach Romans. So uh, it is a fantastic book. It's just, it, it's foundational in our faith. Uh, Paul is an incredible writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Romans is one of those books that teaches us so much about our faith and how to live out our faith. Because it gives us our, our roots of, of understanding uh, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, Paul quotes the Old Testament is probably just about as much as anybody in the New, uh, any of the writers here in the book of Romans. And so that is, it's helpful for us to understand all of God's word and what that means for our life. But before we jump into Romans, one of the things that's been on my mind for quite some time uh, is the word relationship, um, probably because it gets so overly used, it's a word that really hardly means anything anymore. Uh, we've seen a huge shift in our culture in these uh, last few decades. Just one small example of that is we've seen uh, divorce, which many years ago was taboo, and, and very, very rare and looked down upon, and now people don't even blink at it. They don't even try. In fact, there's millions in our country that don't even bother to get married. They're, what's the point? What's the advantage? If there's not some tax break, what's the point, right? That's, God is, in, is almost gone out of the marriage covenant, out of the understanding of what marriage is all about. People don't understand relationship. And... Uh, then fast forward to today's time right now, uh, technology has many wonderful things about it, but one of the things that has not helped is relationship. In fact, I would say that many of these things that are coming out uh, hurt our relationships. In fact, people don't look at each other in the eyes anymore. They look down at a screen. And uh, they have millions or, or maybe at least hundreds or thousands of friends, quote, friends online or followers, but they probably haven't met half of them. And they probably never will. And those friends will never be there in time of need, right? And as I look around, I kind of feel like I'm getting left out <laughs> in this society. And, uh, you know, if you consider the world uh, point of view, my life accounts for about a big zero 
because I don't have a profile. I don't have any friends. I don't have any followers. I don't have anything to do online. And so I don't get any hearts or emojis. Well, I do for my wife on my phone, but I won't share those with the world. So anyway, but, um, you know, I don't, it's unfortunate. I don't get to see what people post about what they're wearing or what they're eating for lunch or what they're doing. You know, I'm missing out on a lot, but I don't feel like I'm missing out on relationships because of that. Uh, those relationships tend to be very fickle, very passing, uh, very shallow. There's no commitment. There's no love. There's no depth to relationship these days. And that being said, it makes it hard for us to understand and it makes a whole new generation and even harder for them to understand what it means to have a relationship with God. When I hear on the radio and I hear people say, God wants to have a relationship with you, I almost cringe. That's a good statement. It's a true statement. There's nothing wrong with that statement, so don't hear me wrong. But it almost makes me cringe because inside I'm going, that doesn't mean anything anymore. Relationships come and go with no bedrock foundation to them of what the world knows. So how are they supposed to then put that into a relationship with God? It, if God's just on the other side of a big computer screen, it means nothing. Right? That relationship means nothing. And so communicating the gospel and what it is to have a relationship with God, which is what Paul is doing here in the book of Romans, it is difficult. So if we get an opportunity, and we should try to take those opportunities, we need to explain what that means as opposed to what the world think it means. Because a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is, is deep. It's, it's rooted. It's meaningful. It's solid. It's, it's lasting. It's unchanging. And it has impact on our lives for now and for eternity. That, that is the relationship that we have with God. And that is hard to get in an unfaithful, tweeting world that we live in. And so God, on the other hand, has spent thousands of years revealing through his word his love and his relationship to us and with us. And he's... Through the book of Romans and through the scriptures, he's helping us to understand the up-and-coming marriage covenant that he is going to and has entered into us with us that's going to last for eternity. And that is uh, the relationship that we want to understand. And so hopefully through the book of Romans, we can get a better understanding and foundation of that relationship. So <clears throat> I'm going to read Romans 1. 1 through 15, we're mainly going to focus in on the, well, we're going to focus in mainly on, on a foundation, even looking at those verses, and then we're going to focus in mainly on 1 through uh, 5 or 6 through 6, but I am going to read 1 through 15, because it flows pretty well. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith, among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. All right, so, so this is the introduction of Paul's letter to his Roman brothers and sisters. You can feel and hear his love and care for them, right? As we get in... It's really heavy first six verses or so. Then the rest through 15 is just his compassion, his care, his longing to be with them, his longing to be encouraged by them and to, to help grow them and just to nurture that relationship together as they worship God. And, but right off the get-go, Paul just dives into a whole bunch of rich understanding of his relationship and how he relates back and forth with God. And, and to be honest, a lot of those words are very churchy, right? If you were to take those verses and read them to someone who has not been around in the church, they wouldn't understand all these, what these words mean. They might have a rudimentary understanding of what it means to be a servant, but to be a bondservant of God, they might not get that, or what all the richness and flavor of that, and what it means to be separated to the gospel. They, they, they wouldn't even understand probably what the word gospel means or who the prophets are or any of these terms. And so Paul dives into them, and, and so for us to understand these, these meaningful words for Paul, we need to back up for a moment. I want to take a few moments to back up and, and look at Where's Paul's foundation as he addresses the Romans? Where is he coming from as he relates to God? What is his foundation? And to understand that, we need to understand the word covenant. Right? What is a covenant? I have, I have a definition here that's not mine. It's one I read several years ago, and um, it, it's a good one. It's, it's fairly thorough. Um, but simple enough to understand what is a, a covenant because a covenant real basically is how God relates to his people 
how God relates to his creatures, right? How he relates to us. So we need to understand what is a covenant. And this definition says it is a solemn bond, sovereignly administered between two or more persons with attendant blessings and curses. Okay, so I'll read that one more time. It's a solemn bond, sovereignly administered between two or more persons with attendant blessings and curses. It's how God relates to his people through a covenant. Right? And, and it means sovereignly administered. It means, it means God did it. Right? God is the one who created it, instituted it. Right? And it's, it's a solemn bond. It's, it's a bond and usually uh, ratified by blood, but not always. Right? Probably if you got married, you probably didn't go out and make a sacrifice to ratify the marriage covenant with blood. Right? But many of them are with God's people and him. But it's a solemn bond. It's, it's serious and lasting and it's not fickle or uh, come and go it's a lasting bond but it's between two or more persons between god and man or god and adam god and moses god and moses and the people god and david and there's many many covenants that we know and see throughout scripture uh, with moses or i mean excuse me with uh, noah as well but there's there's blessings and curses there's um with obedience or with disobedience, with faithfulness or with unfaithfulness, there is either blessings or cursings, right? There's, um, I'm, I'm lacking for my word right now, but there are uh, consequences for what take place. If you are faithful and obedient, thank you, then, then you get blessing. And if not, you get the cursing, right? And so we see that throughout scripture, and that is the way that God relates to his creatures, so through, our, through understanding our covenant with God and how Paul understands our covenant with God helps us to understand what he's talking about. It helps us to understand uh, what it was like for Adam, how God related with Adam before sin and after sin. It teaches us how we, how we feel the effects of sin in our relationship with him now. It helps us to understand the redemption that we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Covenant helps us to understand what to expect in the future in our relationship with God. Where is this thing going? And can we trust it or not? And so it helps us to understand how God will continue to work. If you skip forward in Romans, go to chapter 5 for a moment. We're going we're gonna to jump to uh, chapter 5 a couple times this morning. But this, this is a little bit of, to help us understanding of what this looks like in our covenant, or Adam's covenant with God and then with us. In verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so, so what we need to understand off the get-go is that Adam entered and God entered into covenant with one another, right? Don't eat of what? <laughs> the tree, right? Of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of all these other trees. Just don't eat of that one, right? God promised Adam what? Eternal life, blessing, prospering. What, what does Adam have to do? He's got he's to be faithful tending the garden, right? He's got to be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth, Subdue it, 
you know, go out and, and be faithful, Adam. There's just one thing you can't do. And, and so blessings from that and then cursings out of that as well. So that is, uh, our basic understanding is, is that we're going to get to, and we'll develop it throughout Romans, Lord willing, but uh, Adam was our covenant spokesman or head, right? And we fall under that. God relates to us as through Adam. Adam, uh, God made Adam in his own image. The original covenant was with him, and and. We call that covenant either the covenant of creation or the covenant of life. Uh, people have different names for that original covenant. But Adam represented you and I. So in representing us, when Adam fell, we fell with him. Like Paul talks about there that like we read in Romans 5. And so uh, we, we feel the effects of of Adam being our covenant head when he took responsibility for us. And that death passed on down to us. So now, when people are born, they are born in sin. They are born in Adam. And to escape the penalty, the curses of that original covenant, we need to be born again. We need to be born into a new covenant. We need to be born... Again, having a new covenant head, Jesus Christ. Right? Turn to, um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15. We'll get a little more of what Paul has to say about this relationship here. We'll look at verses 20 through 22. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. All right, and then turn back to Romans 5, and we'll go to 17 through 19 this time. So you're seeing those, as you're turning there, you're seeing those two representatives of those different covenants death from adam and life from christ 17 through 19 says for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one man or through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one jesus christ therefore as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So you can see the comparison there of these two covenant representatives, these two covenant heads. And if we are in, in Adam, as we're born into Adam, we're on our way toward death. But if we're born again in Christ, we have the blessings of his obedience is what Paul just talked about. His obedience in life and his obedience in death results in our justification, results in our life, results in our receiving the blessings of Jesus Christ, of his promise. 
But even, but as we're thinking about covenant for a, a few moments, even in God's covenant with Adam and in his blessings and cursings and in his promises to Adam, we even see in that the promise of the new covenant, the promise of Jesus Christ, right? We see that his seed will eventually crush the head of Satan and bring life. And, and to get a little more understanding of, of our Old Testament scriptures, we will see that. You see that if you go throughout the Old Testament and look at all of the covenants that God made with people, you'll see a renewal of that original promise in all of them. All the way through, there's a promise of life guaranteed in there, and they all do what? They all build on one another as it looks forward to the new covenant, as it looks forward to life in Jesus Christ. I look forward to the new covenant. They all build, they all point forward to Jesus, whether it's with Noah, Abraham, Moses, or David, or with, or with Adam. God, and that's why I said earlier, God spent thousands of years continually just revealing more and more and more of his love for his people, how he relates to his people and his plans for his people. And, and so we need to understand that um, in the Old Testament, all the Old Covenant, Old Testament saints, the ones that are in heaven, that are God's children, they are saved the same way as you or I, right? Every one of them was saved, not in a different way, but in the same way. They're all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? They're all saved the same way. They were looking forward to that plan of God in Christ, and we look back to that plan of God in Christ. That's why Jesus said as he's, as he's talking about and trying to help the people understand their relationship to the old covenant and how, what Christ had come to do. That's why he said, I didn't come to abolish. I came to do what? Fulfill. I came to fulfill. He is the, the fullness of the old covenant. He is the fullness of all of those previous covenants. And that's why... Uh, Paul also says in Galatians, Galatians is kind of like a mini Romans, right? For us, it's like the condensed version of Romans. And in, in Galatians, uh, Paul teaches us that the law was like a schoolmaster, it was like a tutor, right? And we needed that tutor until what? Until we came to faith in Christ, and then we didn't need that tutor anymore. I heard somebody, I heard a, a pastor the other day talking about uh, the law. And he says, and he said, uh, this is generic, but he basically said it's like as if a guy was writing love letters to the woman he loved. And he kept writing these letters and kept writing these letters. And then finally, the time came for them to come together to be married. And she didn't just on that day take those letters and then burn them and say, this is a different guy. Then that wrote all these letters, I don't want these anymore, I'm, I'm married to this guy. No, she would probably keep them and treasure them because they are from him. They are messages from him of his love. And now that they're together, they're not obsolete, they're just cherished mementos of all that he had revealed about himself and them together. The same as the Old Covenant and the same as God's word to us in the Old Testament. I thought that was a pretty good analogy for us. But 
But as I already said, all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus Christ, and all of that is pointing to the New Covenant, the greatness of the, the final form in the New Covenant. And that's why Jesus, in Luke 24, revealed that to his disciples, right? On the road to Emmaus. And he, and he explained to them all the scriptures. You wish you could be walking on that road, right? And hear all the verses that he explained and revealed, said, hey, that points to me, and that points to me, and that points to me, and, and how great a time that would have been. But Jesus is the consummation of all of those uh, verses as they come together. And I kind of skipped over that, but, well, well, we'll come back to it as well. I didn't skip it all the way. I wanted to go into some of those, uh, or at least give recognition to some of those Old Testament scriptures that we're talking about. As we prepare to jump into these first handful of verses, so those, that covenant head was Adam. Now we have that in Christ. Those covenants looking forward to uh, the final new covenant. Israel was also, according to Paul in, in Corinthians and, and also here in Romans, Israel was a wonderful example of us of that relationship as well because they were the called of God, right? They, they were God's special people that he called to himself to, and he, and, he, and he took them and he set them apart from the world, right? He set them apart and said, you guys are supposed to be an, a representative, an image of me to the world. You're to go out and to do this, to represent me. You're to be holy and righteous and separate. But what happened, many of them didn't believe. And they fell, whether it be in the wilderness or throughout their different penalties of curses and the wars. And, and because... As Paul reveals in, in Romans 9 through 11 and many other places as well, they didn't have faith. They didn't have faith. And so they fell. And the ones who did believe and trusted were true sons and daughters of Abraham. Right? Turn to Galatians just for a moment. I want us to see that in Paul's words as well. Because this is, it's, it's helpful to get this base understanding before we jump into some of the depths of, of, of Romans. But 3, 9 through 6, or excuse me, uh, 3, 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness... Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel of Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And Paul says it in several other places as well, but to truly be God's people, you have to be in covenant with him. You have to be in faith with him, right? That's how we enter in, through faith. By grace, through faith. That's how we become true children of Abraham. And so now we can turn back to the beginning of Romans here. And, and, and that, that is, and we you know, can, could continue and 
work on that and spend a lot of time on that. But I want us to, to be able to get into Romans for a bit this morning, these first few verses, and look at this, just this list of verses that Paul has and go through them fairly, fairly quickly and, and see all that is meaningful to Paul and what he wants the Roman church to understand as well. It's, it's kind of like to me, uh, like in Ephesians 1, that marvelous first half of the chapter, just incredible. Paul lists all those blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, that's an, as the kids are memorizing, if, if we memorized maybe like 3 through 14 or, or so, I mean, that's a, that's a good challenge for us, just, the, just that list of blessings that we have in Christ. But, but this is like that in a, in a shorter version here. In Romans 1, Paul says that he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is how he relates to God in this, in this, he was a kid who was raised in the old covenant, right? Understanding the law and understanding the covenant. And now, as he knows Jesus Christ, he says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He knows his lowly position. Paul used to be in himself, puffed up and high and exalted, right? Just lifting himself up. Now he knows how he really relates to God. I'm a bond servant. I'm a doulos. I am a slave of Christ. He, he knows he is lowly, but he serves a master who is loving and caring and gracious. But he knows that the creator of the universe is rightly the master, and he is a creature who is created by God and that God is sovereign and in control and Paul knows that he is a slave though he is a willing slave he wants to be a slave right he he chooses to be a slave he gladly serves his master and there's and a servant is, and, and he says this later, but a servant is obedient, a good servant. A, a good servant serves, right? It's just, it's just basic. We, we follow and, and, and are obedient in our faith, and I don't want to jump to that too much, but that is so much different than what we see today. We live in a self-exalting, right-demanding no one can tell me what to do environment. You need to just demand your rights. You can do whatever you want. How dare they tell you? But we as Christians are servants, are slaves to a loving master. God says through Paul in, in chapter 9, does not have, doesn't the potter have power over the clay? Who are you to reply against God? He can fashion that clay any way he wants to. He is the master. And to have a good understanding of that is freeing, which sounds reversed to the world, but it is freeing to know where we are and who we are and who he is. Those things go hand in hand. You can't know one without the other. Then Paul says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He is called 
to be an, acost, an apostle. He means by that, it wasn't his doing. And if you've been into Acts 9, you know that, right? He didn't create that position for himself. God did it for him. He said, Paul, this is what you're going to do for me. Right? He humbled him. And in, in, verse, in chapter 9 of Acts, he says, Paul is a chosen vessel of mine. He must bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for not my name's sake. But God called Paul, then Saul, of course, but called Paul to himself. God chose Paul to be his servant, his ambassador. That's what apostle means, right? It means an ambassador, a sent one, one who goes for another. That's what Paul is. He is one of those, and, and, and he is one of the, one of the apostles in the official sense. Though, as he says, he wasn't one of the original 12, right? But he was one out of due time, is what God says, right? And, and Paul didn't necessarily interact with Jesus um, as he walked before his death and ascension. But Jesus did appear to him. He came to him on the Damascus Road. And so he qualified in part to represent Jesus. He saw Jesus and then went to represent him. But, but Paul says he's a bondservant. He was called by God to be an apostle separated to the gospel. He was separated to the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God in Jesus Christ. He was set apart from the world. He was special. All of God's chosen people are special, right? He creates for himself his own people. And he does that in Paul. He separates him to the gospel. He says, Paul, your special job is to go out into the world to Jews and Gentiles, specifically to Gentiles. Paul's job was specifically, but you're to go out and to spread the good news. The good news, the, the gospel that you are called to, Paul, is one of guilt-free, right? Freedom from sin and death. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness, right? You are given righteousness, but you are given a mission as well. And it is, and it isn't, and this gospel he describes is not a gospel of man. It's the gospel of God. You are separated to it, Paul, and it's the gospel, this good news of God. And that's important. It just, hey, we, sometimes we read, we read over things really fast, and, and it's good for me uh, to preach because it forces me sometimes to slow down, you know? And, and so we take it just a little bit at a time and, and chew on it for a while. And, and this gospel is one of God. And there are religions, multitudes and multitudes of religions out there of man not of God. There are imposters and false teachers that come up with new religions all the time to try to sucker people into, and to draw people in. People trying to do that to themselves so they can get money or power or fame or whatever they want, just the attention that they want. But they're not of God. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is one that is the truth 
of God. It is the salvation of God. It is his news for us to live by. It is pure and it is a faithful one. It's not a fad that will fall away when that leader dies. Right? Jesus not only died, but he was resurrected. And we'll get to that in a sec. But it says, he was separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and he obviously keeps going there. But he promised before through his prophets. So the gospel is not a new thing. God didn't change his mind and say, hey, the old's not working. i got to come up with a new plan. And I hear some people describe it like that. He had to scrap the old one because it didn't work, and he had to come up with a new one. That's not true at all. This is the same plan all the way through. From eternity past to eternity future, it's the same plan. It's just one that built and built, and God revealed more until he finally got to that fullness of his son. But he promised good news. We already talked about it in the garden, right? God gave the plan from the very beginning. Don't worry. Your seed that's going to come from you is going to conquer. Right? All the way through, that plan is seen. We see the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and this is just a few examples, and they're probably ones you know, but 2 Samuel 7. What's there in 2 Samuel 7? The covenant of... Okay, maybe it's a little harder than I thought. What covenant do we see in 2 Samuel? Who is... 2 Samuel about mainly. What's that? David. David. Yeah, the Davidic covenant. And in that Davidic covenant, we have a promise of what? A ruler to come. One who's going to reign. That reign's going to continue forever and ever. It's going to be a, a son of David. It's going to be the, the seed that comes from David. In Psalm 89, we have more messianic promises. These prophecies of Jesus Christ. We have Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 53, huge chapter of 53, intense, right? We have Jeremiah 23. We have all these promises of the new covenant coming, the gospel coming through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We have Psalm 2, and you could go on and on, and those are, the, those are kind of the more of the major ones, but we have the Messiah, the seed of David, the Son of God coming. Filled in Christ, of course. But it promised before through the prophets. The prophets promised that the gospel would come. Concerning Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. It's a little bit of a mouthful there, but we, we just addressed somewhat a little bit of that. The good news, this gospel that was promised before, is about Jesus Christ, our Lord, born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Right? Um, born according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God. He, would, he was the Son, he was the seed of David. Right? We know that when Jesus was born, he was the seed of David through Mary and through Joseph. Right? Luke sharing for us Mary's lineage, his birth mom back through David, but also his legal father in Matthew, um, in the book of Matthew, Joseph being his legal father back through. So no matter what, either way, Jesus Christ was of the seed 
of David, born in that human flesh. So, so Jesus has always been the second person of the Trinity. He's always been the Son of God from eternity past all the way to future. He always will be that second person of the Trinity. He'll always be the Son of God, always has been the Son of God. But at a point in time, he took on flesh. Right, he took on that incarnation. He became flesh for us. We know that very well. He, is the, he became a babe. We, we even sang it, I sang about it this morning. He became poor for us. I can't remember exactly the words. I had it, it was like the second song we sang, I think. But um, anyway, he became poor for us. Philippians and Colossians talks about that, and, and Hebrews does as well. But then, but then in his obedience through life and through death, what happened? He was resurrected from the dead in power according to the spirit of holiness and that all that declared him to be the son of God. Turn to Romans 8 for a moment. We'll, we'll see that. So God exalted him, but not before he became low. But how was he risen from the dead? Paul's emphasis here is, is talking about he was the son of God with power, but resurrected from the dead. But in verse 11, we see what Paul saying, but if the spirit of him, Jesus, the spirit of him, excuse me, God, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit. God, through his Holy Spirit, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. And 1 Corinthians 15 is, is huge on that. It's all about the resurrection, right? It's all about the resurrection. Yes, uh, the death is what accomplished his, his act there, but the resurrection showed forth the power of God, showed that God approved, right? That it worked for us, that his death was efficacious for us, his resurrection proved it. And Paul talks about that here. He says he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. He's, he's referencing the Holy Spirit in, a, in an interesting way there. By the resurrection of the dead. By the resurrection of the dead. So, so Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God in a lot of ways. Right here, Paul's talking about that resurrection. But how was Jesus declared to be the son of God? Through the angels couple different times, right, before his birth. He was declared to be the Son of God audibly from the Father, right, at his baptism, by the Holy Spirit, right, through being an image like a dove, through God's voice later on with Jesus with his disciples, right? And, and some would, um, through power there at the cross when he was dying, um, through lightnings and thunderings and, and all of that. But in many ways, Jesus was declared to be the son of God. He showed that power in resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. But in himself, it was seen according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The Holy Spirit is not one that is uh, uh, sinful or dark or evil or he doesn't get his power from Satan or anything like that. That spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is, is one according to holiness, I think is what he's trying to get at. The, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is one of holiness and he raised Jesus 
to life. He, he raised him according to the spirit of holiness from the dead, and that showed that he was the son of God. And, and think about that. Right after Jesus' resurrection, he talks about that power. That power, right, in the Great uh, Commission? Where he says, all authority has been given to me. Right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. But, but, and one day, every knee will bow. Right? But God the Father granted all power and authority to his son, Jesus Christ. And everything's going to be made a footstool for him. He is the ruler. And so, but I appreciate his statement is so crucial after his resurrection. And then, and Paul relates it here in a second. But in that, I kind of wanted to stress there and, and teach them to observe all that have commanded you. That kind of goes along with him being our master. And, and Paul gets into it right here. He says, through him, verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. So, verse 5, and we'll, we'll wrap it up through verse 5 for this morning, but it says, through him, all right, through Jesus, we have received grace. It's all grace. All of it is grace. There's no merit in, of us. I don't care how good looking you are or how strong you are or how brave you are or how many good deeds you do. It's all of grace, right? We know that. It's all of grace. There's, there's no merit here in these verses that you read about. It's through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. To the faith. Apostleship. You and I are not apostles in the official term. Right? We're not one of those 12. We're not, we're not Paul who Jesus appeared to on the road and said, go out and, and preach in, in that official sense. But you and I are apostles in the little a sense, if you want to put a little term to it, because what, did, what, did, what does apostle mean? Sent out ones, ambassadors, right? You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you believe in him through faith. You are his chosen child to go out and to show him to the world you're his representative on earth and that's what paul says it's through grace you've received that for obedience to the faith we can go on and on that faith of that works is dead our faith true saving faith is a living faith it's an obedient faith romans i mean excuse me ephesians 2 8 9 what's verse 10 say what's that Yep, keep going. Yep. And what's, what's verse 10? Yeah, created for good works. Right? Created according to his workmanship for good works. You are created for good works. You're not created to be a lump in the pew. Right? You're created to go and do good works. That's what we're created for. And so you're an, a little a apostle of Jesus Christ created for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It's for God's honor. It's for God's namesake. It's for his glory. It's for his name to be exalted up that you have been granted that. Verse 6, Paul ends with, well, not ends, but we're going to end with, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. 
If you are in faith, in Jesus Christ, if you are no longer in Adam, if you are in Christ, if he is your covenant head, if he is your Lord and Savior, it is because you are called. It is because he chose you. He handpicked you, separated you from the world to be his. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you, if those things are true, it's because you are the called, the called of Jesus Christ. It's not something you did. It's his grace saying, come to me. Right? Follow me, and I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you my son. I'll give you love and blessing and forgiveness and glory. Right? And, and that's what... Paul is saying, and those are, those are all things that there that Paul rejoices in, that he loves, that he cherishes those truths. And that's why he shares them with the Roman church. He says, this is, this is my opening introduction, guys. This is what I want you to know about God and my relationship with God and how you are in relationship with God. And those things are worth worshiping about. They're worth cherishing. Let's, let's pray and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for Paul being faithful and being such a wonderful bondservant that he followed you and listened to you and, and penned these words for us. Father, it helps us to understand how we relate to you, how you relate to us. And Father, we love the new covenant. We love your plan. It's a perfect one. It's your plan that you have decided before the creation of the world. And it's so beautiful because it's all a gift and it's all of grace and it's, and it's nothing that we have to achieve. Father, we're so thankful for your beautiful gift that you've granted to us in Jesus and that you've called us to go and share with the world. And Father, I ask that you give us courage and strength and understanding of the truth to go out and to do that and that that we would be able to share what a real relationship with you is all about with a, a very lost and blind world. And Father, we pray that in that, that most importantly, your spirit would go before us to do that work in hearts so that they would be receptive to your truth. Father, we ask that you would go and, and plow that ground and that you would help us just to cast those seeds uh, for your name's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name.